Welcome to Transit Unplugs Comfort's Corner. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and today is Monday, April 13th, 2020. Thanks so much for being with us today on our weekend and weekly podcast where we bring you updates every other day on what's happening in the transit industry and how we are responding to the COVID-19 crisis. Today's episode is going to be chock full of news and information for you. We've got some great headline news story stuff that happened over the weekend across the country, uh, some actions and some reactions of uh, what's happening from transit agencies and how they're moving forward. Sometimes uh, when you have an action, there's an unintended consequence. And today we have a couple of stories about those unintended consequences and looking at how these agencies are turning things around and going in a different direction as a result of that. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Also, we've got a great newsmaker headline interview with a good friend of mine, Jeffrey Arndt, who is CEO of Via Metropolitan Transit in San Antonio, Texas. He'll tell us how they're responding to the coronavirus pandemic. And then, of course, uh, we take a look inside our book, The Future of Public Transportation, and have another reading from that today as we keep focusing on recovery and how this industry is going to move out of this and get drivers and passengers and industry back working again 100% or as close as possible to it. One of the ways that we'll be doing that is uh, we'll be talking to top CEOs from the industry and asking them, how are you planning to do that? And I'll be doing that tomorrow. And I encourage you to join me on Tuesday, April 14th, 2020 at 2 p.m. Eastern time for a special Transit Unplugged CEO Roundtable. This was about the week we, we would have been having our Trapeze Think Transit Conference next week uh, out in the Southwest. But of course, we had to um, cancel that due to the coronavirus. And so I thought I'd ask some of those CEOs and some other ones to join me in this special pandemic episode of the CEO Roundtable, Managing Through COVID-19. Again, this will be on Tuesday, April 14th at 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. It's a live webinar where we'll have some of the nation's leading transit CEOs answering my questions and yours. Inez Evans, president and CEO of Indigo in Indianapolis, Indiana, will be our guest, as will Scott Bogren, executive director of the Community Transportation Association of America. America that represents midsize and smaller transit systems. He'll tell us what they're doing in response to this in the smaller cities and communities across America. Wade Coombs is going to talk to us about what's happening in Canada. He's the director of transit in Strathcona County Transit. Julie Tim, CEO of GRTC in Richmond will also be here, as will Kevin Quinn, CEO and administrator at the MTA in Baltimore, my old alma mater. And Bill Carpenter, who has uh, emerged through this uh, crisis as one of the leaders of our industry with what's being called best practices. He's from Rochester, New York, and uh, has come out with a great list that actually I posted it on my LinkedIn page a week or so ago. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to go to my LinkedIn page and go to the stories there. And I posted his kind of list of best practices that his agency has been doing, including regular weekly calls and, and even daily calls with uh, all kinds of groups that are associated community groups to make sure everyone is working in conjunction. We'll ask him more about that on tomorrow's executive roundtable, CEO roundtable, where we'll be talking to these CEOs about um, how the pandemic hit their service, how it's affecting drivers, what is their plans to recover. Make sure you go to trapezegroup.com right now and register for this free webinar tomorrow, a nationwide webinar across North America and the world at 2 p.m. Eastern Time Live, where you'll be able to ask your own questions, as well as hear them give you uh, interesting input on what's happening around their system. Hey, I want to start today with some good news. 
you say, good news, what kind of good news could there be? Well, we had a good news weekend, right, with Easter. A lot of folks, even though maybe you weren't able to get out like you wanted to, a lot of folks were able to spend time being thankful for what they do have. And MARTA employees in Atlanta have something else to be thankful for. <laughs> you say they do. What do they have to be thankful for? Well, get this. Uh, our good buddy, the CEO down there, Jeff Parker, has announced that he's going to give thousands of the workers of MARTA a $500 hero bonus for working during the coronavirus outbreak. Outbreak. This one-time money will go to over 3,500 employees, including frontline workers, bus and train operators, police officers, and others who deal with the public and who are unable to work from home during the pandemic. The move will cost the transit agency nearly $1.8 million at a time when it faces a budget crunch because of the pandemic, but MARTA CEO Jeffrey Parker said Friday the bonus, along with increased sick time, masks, and other benefits and protections for workers, will help keep employees and passengers safe. Uh, I think that makes sense. These frontline workers uh, really are, you know, out there making the wheels of our economy turn right now as the essential workers are the ones that are mostly riding public transit across North America. And some of those essential workers are our employees who are actually driving the service, protecting the service, the road supervisors, the dispatchers, the police officers, uh, the bus operators. Parker said these employee measures, along with bus crowding mitigation efforts, efforts and forthcoming bus service changes will help ensure our system remains safe for those who rely on transit to get to work, the doctor or the grocery store. MARTA negotiated the bonuses with the Amalgamated Transit Union, which has, has said in the past they wanted the agency to do more to protect employees. Transit workers, uh, they say, aren't the only ones who don't feel safe on the job. And, um, and so this is something that's happening in Atlanta, Georgia, a one-time $500 hero bonus going to transit workers there. In other states, in New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy signed an executive order on Saturday that will require both riders and transit workers to wear cloth face mask coverings when on New Jersey Transit, NJ Transit buses and trains. And it limits the number of riders a, a vehicle can carry at one time. Uh, it cuts them to 50%. Again, he said, the governor said, this is the way they're trying to flatten the curve. Um, and so, once again, they're now requiring people to wear the face cloth face coverings and limit the number of passengers to 50% of the stated vehicle capacity to encourage social distancing. And of course, they're continuing to board buses through the back door when possible. And uh, New Jersey Transit says they've already provided more than 600,000 gloves and 160,000 masks to employees for use in the job. So they're moving forward with requiring face masks. Another city um, in Tarta, in Toledo, Ohio, said that they had this face mask uh, mandate put in place recently, and um, they are getting general compliance from the public. But another transit system is doing an about face on that, and that is SEPTA, the big major transit system in, in Philadelphia, and you probably already know why. I don't know if you haven't seen it. There's a viral video going around, um, as reported in the Philadelphia Inquirer, it says, uh, SEPTA says it will no longer enforce a short-lived policy requiring riders to wear facial coverings after a widely shared video showing a man being dragged off a bus, allegedly for not wearing one, prompted confusion about whether masks were mandatory while riding public transit. The video shows several Philadelphia police officers forcibly removing the man who was later heard saying he was taken off the bus for not wearing a mask. And the Philadelphia police say they responded to a call of disturbance and uh, they said the passenger was uh, repeatedly asked to leave the bus and refused. The passenger was not arrested or cited, according to the police, and the incident is under investigation. And, um, and so SEPTA 
said it's no longer enforcing a facial covering requirement that went into effect and will not deny entry to passengers who are not wearing a mask or covering. It also has announced its new lifeline schedule this week, uh, which is a greatly reduced service, uh, but it is asking all riders to wear masks or facial coverings for the safety of riders and employees. So one about face and then another about face in Cincinnati, uh, where SORTA, the Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority, has decided that they will resume fare collection. And they did so yesterday on Sunday, April 12th on its bus and paratransit service following board approval from the Southwest Ohio Regional Transit Authority and at the request of the city of Cincinnati. You probably are aware if you've been listening to our podcast that many major transit systems across North America have stopped enforcing fares because they have moved people from boarding the bus from the front and moved them to boarding the bus from the back door. And as a result, there's no fare box there. And so they've just stopped enforcing it. Some of them have validators or readers in the back, which will, you can swipe your card on, but not, you know, a lot of people still pay cash. And so most systems have decided to not do that. But cities like Richmond, where Julie Tim told us last week on the show that she had an unintended consequence of hundreds and hundreds of young people riding the bus and yelling out the window, encouraging other people to ride it for free. And uh, sort of says this decision in, in um, Cincinnati, Ohio, was made in the interest of public safety, following the concern that free fare may be encouraging individuals to violate the stay-at-home orders issued by the state and subsequently creating a more dangerous situation for customers, operators, and the community at large with crowding onboard buses. To safely facilitate this request, SORTA is installing protective plexiglass barriers between the driver area and the fare box to help prevent the spread of coronavirus. And so uh, Daryl Haley, SORTA's CEO and general manager said, this decision was not made lightly, but ultimately was determined to be the best decision for the health and safety of our community. And uh, they're implementing, he said, additional safety measures on board to allow customers who are riding the jobs to do so as safely as possible. So again, this agency deciding that they're going to go ahead and start charging fares again, uh, and they're putting in the, um, the plexiglass shields that a lot of transit systems have already installed. I know when I was CEO in Baltimore, we went through a big uh, negotiation with the union and ended up putting in uh, these safety shields back then. I was doing it then because people were throwing coffee and spitting and there was uh, conflagrations as they call them or confrontations between drivers and passengers too often. In one month, I remember we had six incidents where passengers were just, uh, you know, not being safe with the drivers. And so we put them on there, but now a lot of agencies are moving forward with that. I mean, it's the same basic thing that's in light rail vehicles and subway stations and trains. They already have these shields up. And so now it's moving to buses. And I imagine this will be another big move from transit agencies um, across uh, North America is to go ahead and have these safety shields put in place. So that's a look at some of the headline news uh, around the industry as we, uh, as we continue in this six week of the shutdown of uh, our economy and society generally and jobs as due to the coronavirus pandemic. Now stay tuned because we're going to have a newsmaker interview with Jeffrey Arndt, CEO of Via Metropolitan Transit, and then a look inside of our book, The Future of Public Transportation, all on today's episode of Comfort's Corner on Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. I'm Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute a weekly segment where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes that it will inspire others to pay it forward or reciprocate. This past week, we started to learn the devastating news of frontline heroes, operators, and peers from the transit industry that we have unfortunately lost to the coronavirus pandemic. Please join me in offering condolences to their families, co-workers, and loved ones, 
And let's take a moment of silence in their honor. Thanks. And now when we start to talk about random acts of kindness and people stepping up, going above and beyond, let's take a look at the things transit agencies across the nation are doing outside of their traditional service models. In many communities, transit agencies are being incredibly creative, innovative, and simply giving back in ways that are needed and greatly appreciated outside of their normal operating duties. Many agencies are putting out employee recognition videos like Go Transit in Ontario. Rural public transit operators in the state of Oklahoma are transporting COVID-19 tests from all over the state to various labs for testing. In San Antonio, the transit agency has provided mobile hotspots by partnering with local housing authority to bring vehicles to areas where kids and families with no access to Wi-Fi will then have the ability to e-learn. Belleville Transit in Ontario are providing shuttle services to a homeless self-isolation center, which is truly fantastic. If you have stories or examples of initiatives and random acts of kindness from your team or workplace that inspire you, that you'd like me to possibly share in future segments, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Prior to the pandemic, most transit stories we read about in the media unfortunately had a fairly consistent message, whether fair or not. Too many buses not full enough or not enough buses on busy routes. Transit, in my view, is redefining the perception of how they will and should be viewed moving forward. I truly think people are realizing the incredible value that the industry serves daily, and even more so in this time of need. I'll close with this. When Halloween rolls around this year, a transit operator's uniform will be just one of many new superhero costumes available for kids to choose from. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, the Comforts Corner edition, where we're taking an inside look at what's happening in the public transit industry, how we are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And today we're excited to have on our newsmaker hotline, Jeffrey Art, who is CEO of Via Metropolitan Transit in San Antonio, home of the Alamo. Jeffrey, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure being here. Yes. And uh, so tell us what's going on down there in the uh, in the south part of Texas. Um and how is your transit system responding? Well, I think first of all that we have been relatively fortunate that the virus has not been as virulent here as in other places in the United States, but our local community is taking all the safety precautions pretty much, the stay at home, you know, stay home, work safe, uh, trying to wear facial covering now uh, to, to protect yourselves when you're the grocery stores, right. limiting travel to essential workers and essential trips like medical, um, provisioning groceries, that kind of thing. Uh, as a transit agency, we've, man, it's been like a, an ever-changing landscape, I will, will say that. So, you know, we're all about making sure that people can make the connections that they need to make, and especially since the travel is being limited to these very essential trip types and trip makers. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be concerned about the health and well-being of our uh, staff, and particularly the operators who are the front line, and also the health and well-being of our customers. So we've taken a lot of different steps to try and protect all of that. Okay. And um, have you had any interesting ideas come up from staff or front lines on how to respond? So we have a peculiarity here in that our bus fleet, the vast majority of our bus fleet has been replaced over the last few years. And the rear door of our bus cannot be operated. It can be released, but not operated by the bus operator. 
So it makes it uh, probably unsafe for us to ask people to board at the rear of the bus. Uh, so that really kind of forced us as many agencies, but it really forced us to forego collecting fares. So the customers didn't have to touch the fare box, which everybody else was touching and didn't have to stand there right next to the operator while doing so. Right. Uh, but we, what we have also added for the operator because all the people still pass by there. Uh, we're in the midst of putting the operator shields or protective barriers. Yes. Uh, but we're in only in the procurement phase of that, so we don't have those. So we have instead, on an interim basis, we are installing right now plastic curtains that kind of provide that same kind of protection as just an added measure of protection for the operators. Gotcha. And um, was there any big surprises, uh, you know, for you as CEO coming out of this? Some, I guess maybe that door issue was a little bit of a surprise. But it was a big surprise. Surprises? Yeah. That was a big surprise. So I guess, big one. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I would say is, first of all, I, I've been either blessed or cursed by the fact that I, I was in Houston for 25 years. And while in Houston, had a couple hurricanes and a couple tropical storms. And so have kind of been through a shorter term uh, event like this. I, I kind of feel like the yeah. pandemic is kind of like the entire nation is having a hurricane that won't go away in many respects. Wow. That's and a good so, way to put it, yeah. Yeah, it right. really it is. It's a crisis that's just, yeah, six-week crisis now. It is. And so uh, I will say that uh, I'm very proud that our operator workforce has, has maintained uh, the absenteeism has not spiked uh, because of circumstances like taking care of children at home or taking care of uh, ill people within the family. The number right. of operators available has have dropped off, but that's inevitable in a time like this. But but for the most part, our operators have really been out there, uh, you know, doing what needs to be done. Our, our maintenance staff has, has been tremendous. We've, we've done a number of things. We've taken some seats out to, to improve the distance between where the customers sit and where the operator is. We're putting up those curtains, as I described. We, we, put, uh, we created bags for over the fare box that said, you know, don't pay your fare in effect um and they've every it seems like every other day you have a new idea and they're out there yep uh, getting it done you know putting putting tags on every other seat to um to to kind of uh, encourage social spacing just they've oh, that's done good. a You're tremendous doing that too, yeah. job and then um the people who are in communications you know they have they've had you know a lot of uh, very intense <laughs> need to share constantly changing information about what kind of schedules we're going to be running, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that. Uh, so they've been really going full force and you can never forget your IT people because let's face it, everything right now is operating, you know, on the, on the internet, right? They have to keep right. us all connected. You know, we're, we are working remotely. Most of uh, the administrative staff is working remotely. And, and so, Everybody, we sat back the other day and thought of all that we have achieved, you know, in a relatively short time with relatively, it's not like we've had months and months to plan and prepare necessarily, although, you know, past experience helps right. you in the preparation, but you think of all that we've achieved and we're not alone. I mean, uh, you know, transit systems across America are doing likewise, and it's a real testament to, to the resilience, I think, of our industry. Yes. Yep. Well.
you've served as uh, president of a regional association of a bunch of uh, providers in the Southwest area. What have you, uh, what have you been hearing from them? I think uh, everybody, this is the interesting thing uh, because you know, you know, Paul, uh, there are calls like the CEOs of the four large transit systems in Texas, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, and Dallas. Mm -hmm. We started out having daily calls and now we call each other three times a week. There's regional calls, there's national calls. And, you know, we all are, if you will, in the same bus. I would say boat, but that's not our business. All in the same bus and we're all traveling down that same river or highway. And uh, really, if you think about it, the the response across the nation has been fairly consistent. And when somebody comes up with a new idea, and this is the beauty of the transit industry, uh, when someone comes up with an idea, no one is shy to steal it and nobody is angered by the fact that it was stolen. And so we've been able to benefit from a lot of that. One of the good pieces of news that's come out uh, of Washington during this uh, time is the coronavirus stimulus package, which uh, released $25 billion in reimbursable funds through the formulas uh, that FTA administers to transit agencies around the country. Uh, how do you all plan to use that money in your city? Well, we face a, a number of, you know, we have both a loss of revenue and an increase in expense. So I'll start with the loss in revenue. We are 75% funded through sales tax. And then the next oh, about wow. 10%, yeah, 75% from a sales tax. And you can imagine that that's going to take a wallop, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we are uh, about 10% through fares and we're foregoing fares right now. So we know that we're going to have a revenue deficit. So even if we could maintain our, our operating budget, we, we will face a hole. We're, we're facing a, yes. a revenue hole. So that's the first thing we have to, we have to think in terms of it. The second thing is that we are um, preserving our staff to the maximum, maximum, maximum extent. And I will say that the, the dollars that are being provided through the CARES Act have allowed us to essentially tell our employees that if, uh, for example, as we've reduced bus service in response to reduced ridership, we have a number of bus operators who are no longer uh, required, if you will, to drive a bus regularly, and we're guaranteeing them uh, 80 hour pay period or 40, 40 hours a week, and we're able to do that with this, this assistance. If we did not have this uh, assistance, we probably would really struggle just doing that. And and I had done a back in the envelope estimate that we w- might have faced a 25 to 30% service reduction coming out of this. And so what this is going to allow us to do is stay afloat uh, yeah. during the period so that as we move into recovery, we're going to be in a good position to roll back forward. And we're not going to be in a financial position where we have to eliminate service, really reduce service. We can kind of roll forward positively. That's good. And, and speaking of that, I mean, um, how do you think we get out of this? What kind of plans have you all, are you all starting to think about when it comes to recovery? I know that, um, you know, folks are, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci and all these uh, folks at the federal level have been saying kind of this is the time when it's peaking right about now. And so that in the next week or so, hopefully we're over the hump when it comes to transmission of this virus and then kind of on the downward side. And so transit systems, for instance, like what, how much is your ridership down on average, would you say? 
about 50%. Okay. And, and what are you thinking about, you know, it recovering? I mean, are you planning to keep the high cleaning protocols in place and maybe do other things to market yourself back to the public? What's the, do you have a, are you starting to piece together a game plan now? To yeah. So, you know, first of all, I think as most agencies, we're following the advice of the health healthcare community, right? Right. Um, I believe that as we come out, we're still going to face uh, concern, you know, unless we waited until there was, there were no cases out there, which is not going to happen and shouldn't happen. Yeah. So we're going to be in a position where everything is, you know, tapering off, but we don't want to reinvigorate and have an upward tick again. So I think all the things that we're doing right now with respect to cleaning, uh, even possibly not re-implementing fares as quickly as one might think, Mm -hmm. um, maintaining the opportunity for social spacing to the maximum extent we can. You know, I'll tell you right now, the struggle with social spacing and, and we've gone to mandatory, we've gone to mandatory no more than 16 people on a bus. Wow. And if that bus is at 16, the operator is not to board any additional passengers, but instead to change his head sign to say that the um, safe capacity is reached and contact dispatch. And we have a number of vehicles deployed throughout the area that will come behind and, and, okay. you know, make up for that. Yeah. So I think we will probably end up expanding service, uh, perhaps ahead of the ridership in order to preserve that social spacing, but also in anticipation of greater ridership. Uh, we, yes, we're already working on messaging. Um, obviously our messaging right now is, you know, we're all in this together, right? And uh, that's, we've changed all our uh, advertising and et cetera, away from uh, the concentration on via reimagined and what we're seeing in the next 10 years and more to what we're seeing today. Okay. So people can be assured. And we, we did a teletown hall about two weeks ago and had 2000 people tune in. Wow. Yeah, it was tremendous. And that's the whole topic was what is via doing during the, the pandemic? That's something. Yeah, it was remarkable. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're on top of it. I mean, last question I have for you is uh, a lot of transit agencies are using this downtime to get ahead on, you know, uh, deferred vehicle maintenance, um, capital projects, maybe that required some things to be shut down that now that maybe there's not as many riders is a good time. Are you all taking advantage of this downtime to, to catch up on any of that stuff? I think uh, the main, in the maintenance area, I, I know that we are taking advantage of that. Uh, the other thing I'll just share with you, however, is because we do have, for example, in our paratransit uh, operation, we run a portion of that and we contract a portion. So we have a, a fairly substantial piece of our operator, paratransit operators uh, that are not working on via trans right now. So we are working several partnerships. We're doing what many other agencies are doing. We're working with our food bank and uh, delivering 150, 200, um, I guess, boxes of food to people who are in need and can't get there. Uh, we're doing something that's fairly unique, I think. You know, San Antonio, uh, depending upon how you measure it, may be the poorest city in the nation. And as a result of being a poorer city, at least, there's a substantial part of the population that lacks internet access. The school systems have all gone online, as you know. And so our paratransit fleet uh, are equipped with Wi-Fi, and we've worked, we're working with our housing authority and our 
local ISDs, and we're deploying paratransit vehicles to a, a number of um, San Antonio Housing Authority housing projects, which whose residents are least likely to have internet access. And we're doing that based upon the number of children that are in those facilities. Okay. So we're parking the vehicle there. Uh, there's about a hundred to 300 foot radius in which you can actually get the access. We're not boarding people. Right. Uh, they're able to get that access remotely. And that allows them then to continue to do the online schooling that they struggled to do. And because, you know, like libraries are closed, so you can't go to the library to use their internet, right? So I think that's kind of a unique thing that we're doing yeah. right now. What a creative approach and another way where you're of service to your community, Jeff. That's great. Yeah, I'm really happy. I, I had a, a trustee, uh, a trustee who, who asked about whether we could help the uh, ISD, but I, I was even happier when I called my chief of information technology or my technology and innovation and said, and he tells me, oh, I'm already speaking to the school districts yeah. now. He came out of a school district, and maybe that really helped prompt that, but kudos to him. Yeah, is that Steve? Yes, yeah, yeah Steve Young. Yeah, Steve's an awesome guy. You're very blessed to have him as part of your team there. So Absolutely, that's what, true. What a, what a great good news story to close out an interview on, Jeff. We, we wish you the very best. You're on the front lines there, making sure folks in the San Antonio area get uh, safe, efficient, reliable transit with world-class customer service, even during these tough times. Keep up the great work on your leadership for our industry. Thank you, Paul. You stay safe. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And finally, on today's Transit Unplugged Comforts Corner Edition, we bring you a reading from my book, The Future of Public Transportation. You may recall it was the number one bestseller, uh, new release bestseller on Amazon in the first couple weeks of March. And um, we're now working on a children's book of a similar title, The Past, Present, and Future of Public Transportation. I've got a great artist and illustrator. I've done the storyboard, and I'm excited we'll have this out hopefully in the next few months, and there'll be in plenty of time for, um, for you to pick up uh, probably sometime this summer for your children, some some summer reading, probably like a 32-page color, you know, picture book that tells the story from back, from Tom Thumb, you know, the the race between the uh, the train and the horse. Do you remember that? And uh, and then through B&O Railroad and all the way through all the current transit modes uh, over the you know early 1900s to today and into tomorrow, uh, where you've got Uvatals these. Um, you know, unmanned vehicles that are for air travel, et cetera. We cover it all with beautiful pictures and stories and little tidbits like, did you know, and this cool information about it. It'll really captivate children ages probably around five to 13, 14 years old. Um, and especially for those of us who work in the industry, it's a great, great way to introduce our children to the importance of public transportation and how it really does, just like we know now in this midst of COVID, how it really does make the wheels of our society turn and enable the essential workers to get to their jobs, et cetera. So uh, in the first part of the book, we've got some um, comments uh, from people who uh, were part of developing the book or people who I've been working with. And I just wanted to read you a couple comments and then a segment of my first chapter. We've been doing uh, verbal readings of the book uh, as a way to close out each of these podcasts. First is Kevin Desmond who is Chief Executive Officer of TransLink in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, you know, TransLink won APTA's award for the best large public transit system in North America this year. Kevin's a good friend, been out there to his office and visited him. He was on my podcast. And here's what he says. The world's great metropolitan regions 
have great public transit. And over the next 10 to 20 years, quality multimodal mobility choices will be all the more vital to address the combined challenges of population growth, climate action, and improving quality of life. The future of public transportation is a timely addition to the global conversation about the future of mobility. Speaking of our book, another uh, insert from John Sisson, who is Chief Executive Officer of Delaware Transit Corporation. They oversee transit in the whole state of Delaware, you know, from Dover to Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach and all, all in between. They do a border-to-border transit system. He says it's an exciting time to be part of the public transportation and transportation as a whole. Innovations in transportation are offering us opportunities to break down barriers and close gaps in our transportation networks. I see public transportation providers using apps and other technology to allow customers to seamlessly and conveniently take advantage of multiple transportation modes to expand their mobility options. Transit agencies will continue to incorporate the technology being deployed in autonomous vehicles to operate our transit fleets more safely and efficiently. That's from John Sisson, CEO. And now the first uh, chapter of the book, I've written several chapters and and it's broken into four sections, the book is. The first section is practical improvements. And uh, I've written a chapter called Make It Work Better. And it details the story of how we, in Baltimore, when I was CEO of the MTA there, we um, rebooted the whole bus network under the uh, guidance of, um, really, the guy who came in after me, Kevin Quinn, uh, who was our planning director. He was really the architect of the whole service. And um, he's actually going to be on our live podcast tomorrow, on Tuesday, that I talked about at the top of the show. So make sure you tune in to hear him as well. Brilliant guy. Uh, and uh, he was the architect of it. And I go through how it all developed. I did a lot of the politics of it <laughs> while he was doing the actual service planning. But the takeaway on page 25 is this. Many transit agencies are looking to reshape their agencies to make them more relevant to today's riders. You know, now more than ever, right? Passengers today demand that their system is safe, efficient, reliable, and provides world-class customer service. I came up with those as the four pillars of the MTA, as I thought when I first got the job. You know, what, um, this is an aside from the book, what really makes up an outstanding transit system? And it took me about 20 minutes to come up with those four key pillars. And I spoke about them extensively throughout the world at conferences and writing for magazines. And uh, I still believe that that is what makes a great system, you know, and if you build it, they will come, right? You want safe, efficient, reliable with world-class customer service. All right, now back to the book. Many transit agencies believe that if we build those factors into the system, they, the passengers, will come. In order to do that, they often are looking for guidance on what has worked and what didn't from other systems. Our team actually spent a day in Houston with Houston Metro CEO Tom Lambert and his whole leadership team who provided us a symposium on how they had performed their system reboot. It proved highly beneficial as we laid out how we were going to keep, how we were going to implement our lofty plans. We wanted help from someone who had already done a route network reconfiguration to learn from them. And we were looking to the future for help in shaping how our agency could become more cutting edge. That's what many transit agencies are also looking for today. And that's what this book aims to provide. Some historical context for how we've gotten where we are as an industry and a look over the horizon by some of our best thought leaders. And these next chapters of our first section, we'll hear from leaders of various disciplines of our public transportation industry on topics that you have to deal with every day, contracted transportation solutions, paratransit, safety, rail, bus, maintenance, operations, data reporting, and more. What will the next two to five years bring in this area? Here are the experts to tell you. And then we head right in into the book and the first chapter is written by Justin Pate, a good buddy of mine who's, um, 
Senior Vice President of First Transit, uh, and uh, talks a really good chapter about how contracting is uh, going to help shape the future of public transit. So that's our reading from today's episode. Thanks for being with us today on this Monday, Tuesday edition on the 13th and 14th of April for Transit Unplugged. Be sure to tune in on our Wednesday show when we're going to have the CEO of Oahu Transit Service as our special guest, Newsmaker Interview, and uh, we'll also be bringing you the headlines and perhaps an interview with a special guest will be coming up sometime later this week, a special guest who heads up LA Metro. We'll tell you all about that. Stay tuned and stay subscribed and stay safe. <laughs>